lovely to be back. It seems we've been away for quite a long time and miss you when we're away. This week I've had a, a variety of experiences while Sean's sorting this machine out. I came back from Sydney and, and for the first time I felt stressed. I hadn't ever been stressed before, I don't think. And maybe it was the emotional thing of dealing with Tegan and the children down there, but I felt, to use a good Indian term, kasiteri. And I said to uh, my, my daughter the other day, I feel kasiteri, and she said, you what? <laughs> I said, well, that really describes how I feel. It means I'm neither this or I'm not that. I'm just all confused. I took Glad out on the bike. And down at the spit, not the spit, in front of the Malulabar big buildings, I gave her her afternoon tea. And while we were there, a man came and sat beside me. And he says, I saw you from the balcony, and I went inside the room, and I felt compelled to come down and talk to you. So I came down, and he says, I want to know about the bike, so okay. He said, are you a Christian? And I said, of course. And he said, so am I. And I just want to say that your presence here has been an incredible encouragement to me. And he says, I want to pray for you. Well, that was such a blessing to me. Last night I sinned. I took Glad to KFC to have a night out. And in KFC, I was hand-feeding her as I need to do with her popcorn chicken. And, and there was a family over there. And halfway through the meal, a little boy came over and he said, this is for you. And it was a Sarah Lee Moose <laughs> packet. And on it was a note. And the lady says, as I watch you show love to your wife, it reminds me of my grandparents, but sadly my grandmother died last year and I just want you to know that it's such a blessing. I tell you what, that's made my week. It really has. And so I was feeling cussetary, but now I feel pretty good because God's with us and we're really blessed. Well, we're moving on with our study when we can get this organized up and here. Uh, let's do it. See if I can do it. I'm not much good at these things. We need Gordon. we need Gordon. Yeah. How's that? All right, we're in business. Okay. So we're moving through Second Corinthians, and uh, as we've been going through, if you recall when I introduced Second Corinthians to you, that my theme for the whole of this book is that you and I are working together with God. That's an amazing statement that Paul makes again and again as he goes through this book. Working together with God, or if your Bible says, fellow workers with God. Now, if you can imagine that you sitting here and here part of the Budrum Chapel Assembly, that you are a fellow worker with God, wow, that changes the whole of every single thing that we ever do. Because God's at work 
And he says, and I need you as a partner. I need you with me in what we're doing together. Now, you remember that his first letter to the believers at Corinth hadn't been received very well, and there were quite a number in the church there that wouldn't even acknowledge him as an apostle, so rejected his authority. He had gone back to Corinth. He made a painful visit, he tells us, and no one responded as he hoped they would, and it was something that was really sad as far as Paul was concerned. So now we're looking into this second letter, and he, t- he says, I'm coming back. I'm going, going to come back and see you, but I hope I come and don't have to use my authority as an elder, I, as an apostle. I hope I don't need to do that. I trust that you will sort out issues within you and your attitude towards me so that when I come, it will be for your building up and not for your tearing down, if you read a little later on into the book. Now, you remember that I'd suggested that the book naturally divides into these three segments, and we're coming to chapter 7 today, which is the last of this first, serial, first part of the book, though the apostle and his ministry. And I'd suggested to you my outline. I told you the difference between exegesis and exposition. Exegesis means what it meant for them, and exposition is what it now means for us, and what lessons can we now learn from it. And if you look at the red line there, that's the segment we're dealing with. Chapter 6, verse 1, you've had last week from chapter 6. Earlier than that, you had chapter 5. And in it, we read, we're working together with God. So it's a really important segment for us to be thinking about today. And what you learned in chapter 5, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Hey, that's an incredible responsibility. God makes his appeal through us, Paul says. He appeals through us. We represent God. God makes his appeal through us. And we read earlier on that we have been entrusted, notice this, with the ministry of reconciliation. Now, ministry means service. And then it says we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And I like to think that in our society, we need to earn the right to be able to share the message of reconciliation. And we earn that right by demonstrating our love for one another, our love for God, and doing good works to all men. As we show our love for one another, it overflows as we do good and help other people. We've been entrusted with this thing. But Paul reminds us in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that there's an urgency about it, because now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, he says. And so representing God as an ambassador is an incredible privilege, but it's a huge responsibility. Then he went on in chapter 6, and you learned this last week, I'm sure, that we are servants of God. And the word servants here means one who is entrusted with the responsibility of carrying out the Father's wishes in a way that's worthy of his name, worthy of his position. And that's the job that's been given to us. Paul talks about it and says, we don't put any obstacle in anyone's way. He says, we commend ourselves in every way by our character, by our actions, by the things that we do. You learned that last week. But you also learned this last week, that we are to be a separated, a holy people. We are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We are not to have fellowship with the evil, with idols, with darkness, with Satan. And the reason is that we, brothers and sisters, we are the temple of the living God. 
and then we move into the segment which is chapter 7 and I'm just going back a little bit into chapter 6 because there are some incredible promises there. Listen to this. God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, which is chapter 7, verse 1, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of our reverence for God. And so in the context of all of those great responsibilities, we brothers and sisters need to respond to God. We need to respond to these privileges and respond to these responsibilities that have been given to us. I don't know which of those responsibilities you think is more important for you. But as far as God is concerned, every one of them is important because we are working together with him. And if we are working in his name and operating in his name, then we need to make sure that we are doing the things that please him. Well, what will please him? Well, the first thing is we need to claim these promises. Promises are promises. But we need to live according to those promises and stand on those promises. There was that old hymn we used to sing, standing on the promises. And it says, if you do that, you'll never fall. It says that if you nev- you'll never fail, according to the hymn writer. Well, it's true. And these promises we learned a little earlier, these promises are all fulfilled in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus, we learn in chapter 1. Well, as we move on, we can see that we've got the promise, firstly, of God's presence. He says, I will be with you. you will, uh, we will be his people. He is our God. But our responsibility then is to separate from evil, to have nothing within us that will contradict our relationship with a holy God or conflict with our relationship with the holy God. It says, refuse to touch no unclean thing. And when I think of touching, these words came to my mind, to watch unclean things, to read unclean things, to listen to unclean things. When I was taking Glad down to Sydney, we went into a fast food restaurant because they do have nice disabled toilets and I took Glad into the toilet. They were just opening up and most of these things have piped music through the system And as I took Glad into the toilet, just opening up the the, the restaurant, the music came on. It was absolutely filthy. It was a rap. And it was full of swear words. It was full of sexually suggestive things. I was disgusted. And I thought to myself, how on earth can this happen? Well, being who I am, I wrote to the company and complained. And I said, I thought you were a family restaurant. But with this kind of music, well, I talked to my son about it. He says, oh, well, that'll be one of the the guys there saying, let's not bother putting on the company's program. Let's put on our kind of music. Well, that kind of music is absolutely soul-destroying. That kind of music is filling your heart, filling your mind. You know, when I was a young lad, I read a book, which I should never have read. I was about 13 and 14 when I read that book. Now, my memory is not too good, 
But what I read in that book at 13 and 14 was imprinted on my mind as if by photographic memory. And in it there was the explicit kind of sexual activities described in that page which was on my mind. I remember traveling through India and the back, back parts of India and in the nighttime when I couldn't sleep, guess what came to my mind? It wasn't Psalm 1 and it wasn't John 3.16. It was that page and it was as if it had been photocopied into my brain and Satan used that to tempt me and to distract me and seek to pollute my life and keep me from the ministry that God wanted me to do. And young people, you are in so much danger because of, of the internet, because of pornography and what's available to you. And I just want to warn you that this says, the Bible is telling us that if we are to claim the promises of God, we are not to touch or watch or read or listen to those kind of things that are going to pollute your mind and make your mind defiled because God wants you to be a fellow worker with him and if we are to be a fellow worker with God then we've got to have this special relationship with him he is our father and we are his sons and daughters and these are special things that we can think about no matter what others think about us, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. But there's more. We are told now to cleanse ourselves. Now, this is our responsibility. This isn't asking God to cleanse you. This is saying, I want to cleanse myself of everything that contaminates my body and cleanse myself of everything that contaminates my spirit. You see, your body, your spirit, these two things, we're pretty good with the body. There's all kinds of cleansing agents you can get. You've only just got to go and have a look in some of these stores and see all the cleansing agents for your body. That's pretty easy. But it's this cleansing of your spirit that becomes our responsibility. And Peter says, you are to rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Colossians says, Paul says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. So this becomes our responsibility. And there are other scriptures I could add to that. These things are our responsibility. Don't simply say, oh Lord, cleanse me. Because if you are not cleansing yourself. Again, when I was in the army, I remember with all the swearing that was going on around me, I used to have to pray, Lord, cleanse my mind. Lord, get rid of this stuff out of my mind. It's just there, all these filthy words, all these awful things that are happening. Well, it's all very well to say, Lord, cleanse your mind. But the Bible says, set your mind on things above. The Bible says, set your mind on Christ, who is your life. So your mind, the whole of your Christian life really depends on where your mind is set. And this becomes a really important lesson for us. The next thing is we are to perfect holiness. Now holiness isn't a big Bible under your arm with a sour look on your face. Holiness is a, it's a state of mind. It is a state of living. It is 
actions. It is the whole of your character. And the Bible says in Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be holy. God has not called us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Peter writes and he says, just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. So it's not here singing hymns. But it's out there in the world. Be holy. Be available to God. Be set apart for God. And then, of course, part of that it says in Hebrews, and this is a really important thing. He says, make every effort to live in peace with every man and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see God. And that scripture should be blazoned over our doorways without holiness no one will see God friends if we have a soft attitude towards holiness if we have a a kind of a compliant attitude ah it's okay it's okay it's okay then we're outside what God is asking of us he's asking us to be holy as he is holy and this is in everything that we do these are really important lessons that we can learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, particularly as we are working together with God. But it all really back, comes down to this point. Do we have a true and genuine fear of God? Now, fear is not an afraid thing here. It's not that you're scared of God, but it's that God is your Father. God is holy. And as you come to Him, then everything has to come into, into relationship with that, having this reverence for God. Now, I'd like to give you some homework. I like to do that. Your homework is to read the book of Proverbs. Now, don't get your concordance out of one of those fancy things you've got in your hand or your pocket, those smartphone things. Don't do that. Read the book of, Ro- of Romans, uh, sorry, Proverbs, and I want you to find every reference in Proverbs that talks about the fear of God. I've just t- chosen one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's also the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, and it's many things. And so there's your homework for this next week. Read the book of Proverbs. And as you read it through, just make a special note of every reference to the fear of God, the reverence of God. Now, do we, are we afraid of God? Of course not. I think I told you that when I was uh, with my kids in India and I'd be with them and playing and young Jeffrey was just a little kid and I'd pretend to be a tiger. And he'd run around and he'd hide and, he'd, and, uh, and I'd make him, well... I thought tiger noises, and as I would run around, he was hiding, 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 and finally I cornered him in one little place there. Ah, I've got you. Ah. And he looked up at me and he says, you're not a tiger, you're my daddy. And he came out and put his arm all around me, and of course I gave him a huge great hug. Well, God's like that. We are to fear God, but It's a sense of understanding that our God is a holy and a pure God who does no wrong, a righteous God, a God who punishes those and he disciplines those who don't do what he asks of them. Hebrews tells us we are to worship God acceptably with a reverence and awe or fear, says one of the translations, because he is a consuming fire. The Old Testament people understood that very well. They were dead scared to come near to God. 
Well, as Robbie said a little earlier, we can approach boldly. But when we approach God boldly, it needs to be with the reverence that is due to God's name. Because he's a great God. He is majestic in his holiness. He is majestic in his glory. And we need to come to him with that understanding. And never presume upon God's acceptance of us. Thinking it's okay. It doesn't matter. God's kind. God's loving. God's good. Doesn't matter what I do. I can still come to God. It's not, that's not the understanding the Bible gives us of our God. And I therefore want to suggest to you that we, to work together with God, taking these scriptures that we've been looking at, we need first and foremost to claim the promises that he's given us, all of the promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Some of those promises I've told you before are conditional promises, but the promises are there none the same. And if you make a list of the promises of God and live according to them, then you are working together with God. But then the second thing we need to do is to deal with sin in our lives in all of its forms, whether it be sin of thought, sin of of action, sin of, well, whatever kind of sin it is. Sometimes it's a sin of attitude. Sometimes it's a sin of omission. We don't do what God has told us to do. And so we need to deal with sin in all its forms. We need to have reverence for God. This holy fear, and of course that equals loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind. But then the fourth thing is really important. It says we are to ensure that our relationship with one another is exactly as God wants it to be. This is loving your neighbor. And if we love our neighbor, then we'll be doing what God expects us to do. Now when I read those things and thought about those things, It made me think that as I read on in chapter 7, that good relationships became the issue that has been eating away at Paul because he was not having good relationships with the church at Corinth. And it's possible that within our church there is some issue where we don't have good relationships. I'm not aware of it, but maybe you don't have a good relationship with me. Maybe I've done something that's hurt you. Maybe I've said something that's upset you. Well, the problem is good relationships are essential. I need to love you. You need to love me. And that love needs to be unconditional love. It needs to be a love which does not keep account of of wrongs and failings. It needs to be a love which is patient and kind, the kind of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, and especially the kind of love that doesn't keep an account of the wrong things that have happened to you. And when I thought about that, it made me realize that this was the big issue in Paul's mind. And the rest of chapter 7 really deals with that. Because he was aware that there was a negative attitude towards him in the church. Some of them still rejected his authority. And those with this attitude were like festering sores in the church. And it was like a cancer, like, a, like um, an infection that young Tegan has had down there, down in Sydney. It's something that's destroying the fellowship. And it's something that's been going on now for quite a while. And it's hurt Paul. You remember in chapter 2 he talked about it. In chapter 6 he's talked about it. 
In chapter 7, he talks about it. He'll go on to talk about it in chapters 10, 11, 12. He's going to talk about it, even in 13. Because for him to be a break in fellowship is critical because it prevents us working together with God. Because what God wants is his church to be united. In fact, you recall that Jesus prayed a very special prayer in John chapter 17. And the prayer was that we might be one even as we, Father, are one. That the believers and those who believe in me, they also might be one, united. And unless we have true fellowship then we're in trouble. <clears throat> we are not able to work together with God. We are actually hindering what God really wants us to do. And as a church, that's a big thing. It's a really big thing. This is what he had written to them in chapter 2. He said, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. They weren't making him rejoice. They were causing him trouble, distress. They're causing him. He says, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and in many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. He says, the reason I wrote, and this is the big thing, the reason I wrote was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient. Now, we don't like that word. Be obedient? Why be obedient? Can't I do what I want? Aren't my opinions as good as anybody else's? And yet Paul is saying this was the issue in the church. There was a rebellious spirit. There were those there who were rejecting his authority. And this is something we're going to have to think about. Later on, he wrote this in chapter 6. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, opened wide our hearts to you. We were not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding your affection from us. So from Paul's side of the story, he was offering everything. In fact, he says, I'm willing to die with you. I'm willing to die for you. I'll give you my whole life. He doesn't only say that to the Corinthians, he says to the Thessalonians as well. Now we can live if you're going on in your heart, in your faith. He said, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. So where was the problem? Was the problem with Paul? Well, I don't think so. Because I can see from Paul's writings and what he's saying, his anguish, his distress, his tears, the care he has for the churches. He, from his point of view, was simply doing what God had asked him to do. But the resistance, the problem, was coming from some of the people who were claiming to be believers. And they were the festering sore which was causing distress in that church. Brothers and sisters, I don't like talking about things like this, but that's what the Bible says. And that's the beauty of having to do a Bible study like this, chapter by chapter, where we have to deal with the subject that comes up. And so his appeal is this, chapter 7, verses 2 to 7, <clears throat> make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. 
I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all, all of our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you'd given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You see, Titus had gone to Corinth. Paul had gone as well, but they rejected Paul. But Titus went. And by the way, this is one of the first times you ever read about Titus here in 2 Corinthians. Later on, there's a letter that Paul writes to Titus. But this is where Titus is busy behind the scenes. You know, some people are up front like I guess I am. But other people are behind the scenes actually doing a wonderful work for God. And where Paul was unable to do it, Titus was doing it. And sometimes that's exactly the way God's work works out. Because we're all fellow workers with God. And if I'm unable to do it, then you, you can do it. You do it. And that's an amazing thing. That all of us are working to these things for, for God. Well, when I thought about this, and from an expositional point of view, that was a circumstance in Corinth. What's the circumstance for us here? What lessons do we learn? Well, brothers and sisters, here's a bit of theology for you. The church is not a democracy. It's not majority rules within a church. That's not God's way. A church is theocracy. And theocracy means God rules. And we know that he rules in our country through the government. We know that God rules in the family and gives responsibility to the fathers, to the husbands. And we know that in a church, God rules through those who are the spiritual leaders of the church. In our case, those who are the elders of the church. Now, we need to understand that. So in a church, we don't do what we want to do. It's not anarchy. That's the opposite to theocracy. Anarchy means everyone does what's right in his own eyes. That's the book of Judges. And that's the kind of problem that was the book of Judges. But in a church like ours, it's theocracy. God rules. And he rules through those whom we have acknowledged to be the elders of our church. Now that requires certain things. It requires an order. It requires a discipline. It requires that we respect and we obey those leaders. We may not always agree with them. And if we don't have an agreement with them, we should go to them and talk to them and say, I'm not really happy about this issue or that issue. And we should share our concerns with them. That's why they're there. But we need to understand that we need to respect them and obey them. Now, if you want me to give you the Bible verses for that, just come see me. I'll give you the Bible verses for that. The second thing is that in our church, brothers and sisters, sin of every kind, evil of every kind, must be dealt with. Now, in that case, it calls for us to be repentant. It calls for us to forsake these things. That's what we've been learning. Cleansing ourselves of 
everything, everything that pollutes our body and soul. Sin must be dealt with. We cannot have sin tolerated. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. They had that man living with his father's wife. They had a church that was proud and arrogant. They had a church that had jealousy and fighting and squabbling and position seeking and politicking and and you had a lack of love at the Lord's table. All those things were there in the first Corinthian. You remember it? You remember those things that were there? Well, they've got to be dealt with. And in our church, if there's sin, then we need to be willing to deal with it. And in your case and my case, we need to repent of it. We need to put it away. We need to allow God's spirit to be able to flow through us in a way that is truly amazing what God is wanting and able to do. But also we are to take the scripture at hand to make peace and to be in fellowship with one another with a mutual love and a mutual loyalty to one another. Now, Paul had demonstrated his love for the Corinthians, but they were not demonstrating their love for him. He was willing to die for them, but they were criticizing him. And brothers and sisters, we need to have these things if we are to see God working through us. And right now we're in a transitional sort of a place And this is temporary. But many of us are expecting great things to happen as we move up to the new new facility that will be available to us later on in the year. But unless we deal with matters now, then moving to a new facility will make no difference whatever. If there are issues that need to be dealt with, and I'm not suggesting there are, but if they are there, if there is sin, if there is a lack of fellowship, if there is a lack of loyalty, if there is a lack of discipline, if there is a lack of respect for our leaders, then we need to deal with it now. Because God wants us to be fellow workers with him. Now, maybe you don't like me saying this, but that doesn't really bother me. Because I simply have to say what God gives me to say. In that Corinthian church, there were failures in every one of those areas. And Paul had written to rebuke them and to correct them. He had written to test their obedience. And sometimes rebukes are necessary. I don't like being rebuked. And perhaps you don't either. But it's never done me any harm when a godly person has come and told me, This is wrong. You should not be doing that. My immediate fleshly reaction is to react to that and say, who do you think you are? But then when I realize that these people come with a, they come with a desire for my soul. They come with a concern for my soul. And I need to accept that rebuke and move on to become the kind of man of God that he wants me to be and in our church sometimes it's necessary for us to be rebuked for me to be rebuked and maybe for you we need to open our hearts Paul had visited to resolve the problems but they rejected him Titus had gone and he was able to help in resolving those problems And sometimes in our church, there are other people who are working behind the scenes who are able to help resolve issues, and that's good. So brothers and sisters, if we think about this whole pattern 
of what Paul's been talking about in these chapters of working together with God. It's an incredible privilege. But guess what Satan wants? Satan wants to put a barrier between you and me. He wants to put a barrier between one or another. He wants to pollute my life. He wants to make me be something which is not what I appear to be. He wants me to be a hypocrite. He wants me to stand up here and preach to you, but at the same time not be the man of God that I may appear to be. Wow. This is God. This is Satan. And Satan's whole aim in the game is to destroy what God is doing. So fellowship can and will be restored when matters that are issues that are there are dealt with. We need to do that. When there is true repentance, and Paul goes on to talk about true repentance. He also talks about worldly repentance. Worldly repentance leads to bitterness and resentment and all kinds of stuff. But true repentance leads to salvation. You read read it in chapter 7 there. You read what he talks about. Titus brought us news of your godly sorrow, of your true repentance. And that true repentance leads to salvation. But he also spoke of the, the, the possibility and the danger of worldly repentance, which is really only a regret that you got caught or regret that somebody found you out or the regret that you're not getting your way. And when we have love and concern for one another, then God's work will prosper. I think I told you about the church I went to in Adelaide. When they first began in 1963, they were just a a handful of people who went out to start a new church. And when they started the new church, it was lovely and a lot of people got saved in a new community, a whole new area. And it was good until there was some issue uh, and, and half of the church left and went away. So they're back to square one again. Then they grew again and grew again. But then again, there was another personality issue, a clash about certain people, and some were off, went off again, and they're back to square one again. And this went on for a little while until they looked at one another and said, brothers and sisters, this should not be like this. This is not what the New Testament talks about. We need to do two things. And the first thing we need to do is to humble ourselves before God and pray. So they humbled themselves before God and they began to pray earnestly, desperately. But the second thing we need to do is to truly love one another. Not just love the people that we like, but love one another unconditionally. And that love will express itself in what we do for one another. And so they began to do practical things and shared meals and shared tables and shared, and they just shared and shared and shared. And it was as if God says, wow, I've been waiting all these years for this to happen. And then two people got converted. One was a real estate agent. And he was forever trying in that area of Elizabeth in South Australia, forever trying to... To, to patch up couples who were d- separating and dividing their marriage because they couldn't get on. And instead of selling their property, he used to preach the gospel to them and bring them to Christ. And when I went to that church, they asked me to come and help them. They were having a baptism every single Sunday night because people 
were being converted. Couples were being saved. It was just an incredible thing. The church grew and grew and grew. It was an amazing thing. But the second person who got converted was a, a guy from Liverpool, and he was a fighter. He used to punch people up. I mean, he really did. His whole family got converted, but he never. Thanks. He, he, he said, no way. I'll never, I'll never bow my knee to Jesus Christ, he said. His family prayed and prayed. The church prayed. He got converted. Now, his job was to sell cleaning products. <clears throat> he used to go from door to door house to house, selling cleaning products. And when he sold those products, he would get his foot in the door and he wouldn't get his foot out of the door until they bought something. Well, that's all very well. He had a thousand customers of that kind and they used to dread seeing him come up the, up the pathway because he was always forever selling these cleaning products. Well, then he got converted. He had something else to sell. And he got his foot in the door and he began preaching the gospel. Well, people got saved. And the church grew. By the time I arrived, they were asking for help in Bible teaching. And that's why they asked me to come, help us with our Bible teaching. All these new Christians. Well, the last time I was down there, I mean, I left the church to go to Romania and other places. And we had 400 in fellowship. It started with just a handful of people. And it was an amazing work of God. Now, God's waiting. <clears throat> and that new building, that new opportunity we have up there is going to be a complete and utter waste unless we do these things that are here. And you'll forgive me for saying that I believe that this is the key to where we need to be at right today. To first and foremost, claim the promises. What are those promises? Well, look back and see the specific promises. I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. But those promises require that we come out and be separate. Those promises require that we do not touch any unclean thing. And we then move on to cleanse ourselves from every form of evil or sin. Every form. You may need to throw away some magazines. You may need to burn some DVDs. You may need to, to, to cleanse your cupboards. You may need to get rid of the books that you're reading. I don't know. That's up, entirely up to you. But we have to deal with sin. Then our reverence for God, our faith in God, has got to be something that we revisit and understand just who God is. And then finally, we need to ensure that our relationships with one another are exactly as they ought to be, loving one another unconditionally. Have I hurt you? Then forgive me, but love me still, I need it. And you need to love me, I need to love you. And if there's any one of us with issues with one another, we need to love one another and to allow God's spirit then to be able to flow through us. So we've come to the end of the apostle and his ministry. But this now becomes a really critical issue for us. If you're going to say, so what, then you've missed the point. If you're going to say, I want God to be able to work through me, then I think you'll take a, a lesson out of the book that Paul has been writing to the Corinthians. And if we can take a lesson out of that book, then that's setting ourselves up to be mightily used by God 
as we have a new opportunity in that new building. Let's pray. Father, as we just bow before you, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the things that you've done for us. We thank you that your word is quick, it's sharp, it's powerful. Sometimes it's like a two-edged sword. Sometimes it pokes us. Sometimes it cuts into our very motives and, and exposes who we are. Lord, forgive us for our failings. Forgive us for taking you lightly. Forgive us for being compliant with sin and, 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 and thinking that it doesn't really matter when you are a holy God. Forgive us, Lord, <clears throat> for not putting matters right with one another or for harboring resentments or the kind of issues that, that can hold back and become a hindrance for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So, Lord, we just ask that you'll help us each one to do those things that please you. And as we just thank you for today, we pray especially, Lord, for our loved ones who are away serving you. We think of Brian and Helen. We think of uh, Gordon and Ruth. And we pray, Lord, that you'll be with them. Help Vijay Kumar today particularly, Lord, we pray. And we ask for others that are serving you in different places, in different ways. And we just commend them all to you. For Keith and Bronwyn, Lord, we pray for them. So as we bow before you, we thank you that we can depend upon the grace of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that your love for us is unconditional. We thank you, though, that the Holy Spirit within us is able to do great and mighty things, more than we can even ask or imagine. We pray that this will be a reality for us, not just something we read in the Bible. So we ask all these things as we thank you for today in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, as usual, friends, I think we've got some refreshments out there. Don't forget lunch down at uh, Chambers Island. And if you're able to be there, then I'm sure you'll enjoy it.